says, I have brought my forth my son unto thee. Talking about the man who brought his son to Jesus. And, but last night, yesterday, uh, I just felt moved to go back to Ephesians. And so, no Father's Day sermon, okay? But it all applies. So, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part and maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Verse 16 just has a lot to say. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us here this morning, Lord. I Thank you for all those who was able to stand up to say and, and to uh, offer praise to you for the blessing and this opportunity we have to be called Father. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us even this morning, Lord, that you'll remove all the distracting thoughts in our mind and heart, worries, concerns, thoughts of the future, and allow us to get plugged into your word this morning. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Uh, make our hearts burn again for your word. May we grab a hold again what Ephesians chapter 4 is challenging us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been working through Ephesians chapter 4, and we've not only been focusing on what it means to have unity, but we also been focusing on what unity means to the church. In order for the church to have proper worship, you need unity. In order for the church to have stability, you need unity. In order for the church to have harmony, you need to have unity. In order here, what we see in verse 11 through 16, in order to see growth in the church, you need unity. Unity is a necessity for us. We, we've seen the different aspects of unity as Paul has wrote this down in the Word. We've seen this in really verses 1 through 3 that unity is manifested in the church and nurtured in the church in verses 1 through 3 in the way that we treat each other. Even more, he said in verses 4 through 6 that Unity is not only about how we treat each other, but unity is that which we believe. In verses 4 through 6, he says that. 
in verses 7 through 10, he says that the harmony that the church produces, the unity in the church is made manifest that God doesn't send 75 bass players to one church, so to say. That it is diversified. That every church is gifted gifts. Every individual in the church is given gifts. And when everyone does their gift, it produces a wonderful harmony in the church. We're unified in that way. Verses 11 through 16 says, not only does he do all of those things, not only does he gift each and every individual of the church, but verses 11 through 16 says that he gifts the church with people who have specific abilities. And here in verse 11 through 16, he tells us why he gives the church these presents. These are not P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, but P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Why does he give these presents to the church that we read about in verse number 11? So he gives these presents for the benefit of the church. Now, we, when we read verse 11, that he gave some apostles and uh, some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers... Now, the early church, we see in the first two that the early church needed the apostles and the early church needed the prophets. These gifts are no longer with us. We no longer need foretelling or forthtelling. These were the, these were the um, job descriptions of the apostles and the prophets. He gave the apostles to the infant church in order to help the growth. He gave the prophets to the early church so that he, it would help guard them against false doctrine. But he goes on to say even more that he gave evangelists. Evangelists are gospel-centered preachers. These are men who are constantly preaching, calling uh, sinners to repent. Even more, he says he gave some pastors, pastors to tend the flock, pastors to preach the word, and he gave some teachers to teach the word within the church. He gave these gifts to the church, but he does not keep us from knowing why he gave these gifts to the church. He gave these gifts to the church because the purpose was given in verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the first reason we see here that Paul says that Christ has gifted these gifted people to the church was for the perfecting of the saints. This word perfecting, it comes from the Greek word kartizomos. Now, that word may not mean much to you, but by use, it offers a greater definition to us of what this word perfecting means when he says, for the perfecting of the saints. When you get into Matthew in the fourth chapter in the 21st verse, the Bible says that when Jesus had came down, he seen James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and there they were by the sword, and they were mending nets. That word kartizomos is that word mending, that these men were down there 
mending nets. They were meaning they were putting back together that which was broken. They were restoring something so that it could be used again. It means that they were mending these nets for what purpose? So that they could go and catch fish again. So when we come here and we look at this word and we say, for the perfecting of the saints, it means that Christ gave these gifted people to the church for the purpose of what? So that we in our hearts, we in the church, our hearts will be mended back together. So that our hearts can be restored. So that our hearts could be lifted up. So they could be lifted up for what? So that we could be put back into service, catching fish, bringing men to Christ. So their hearts could also be mended. So that their hearts could also be restored. He said, for the perfecting of the saints. The idea of the reason that Christ gave these gifted people to the church is that each and every one of us struggle in our own ways. We fight our own battles. We have our own struggles in our heart. But the perfecting of the saints, these gifted men, means that we can come here and trust that God knows what's going on in our hearts that we can come here and trust that God is going to give the teacher a message, that God is going to give the preacher a message, that God is going to give the evangelist a message, that God is going to give them exactly what you need to have your hearts mended back to where it should be with Christ. He said he gave these gifted people so that they could be mended. Even more in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, he again uses this same word. The usage of this word further explains the definition perfecting. The purpose of the gift, he says in Hebrews chapter 10, really starting in verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he Cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast thou prepared for me. What Christ is saying is that the, the blood of bulls and goats would no longer take away sins. It couldn't take away sins. But that word, he says, Thou but a body thou hast prepared for me. That word prepared is the same word, cartizamos. It is to say that God had prepared a, a body for his son. It is to say that God perfect, perfectly prepared this body. He, he, he prepared this body because the blood of bulls and goats would not take away the sins, but in the same thought that he gave and prepared a body for his son, it gives us this idea here, this understand, that he cartesimus a body for his son. He prepared this body. It is also to say in the same application that for the perfecting of the saints, it is to say that the reason that Christ gave this gift 
to the church of what we read about in verse number 11. The reason he gave it was to equip us for ministry. It is to prepare us for the service in which he had called us into. How will they be saved if they have not a preacher? Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is to say that that this perfecting is a time of preparation. God gave these people to the church to prepare us to do that which he has called us to do. He not only gave these gifts to the church, but he laid a path for the believers. He, he laid a potential for the believers that come to the house of God to learn and to grow so that they can be fully equipped for the purpose in which God has called them. By the way, these gifted people, they were gifted with one purpose. Now, this is so much confusion by the world of social media and the world of technology in which we live. Maybe you're not confused by this, but I am often confused by this, how there's so many different people on TV that have ministries named after themselves. They're not affiliated with any church. They're not associated with any church. The money that comes in through their organization comes into their very own pockets. But yet the gifts that Christ gave was to be used at the church. They were used to benefit the church. They were used to perfect people in the church. They were used to bring glory to his name within the church. As Hebrew 10 uses the word perfecting, since God has prepared this body of Jesus, he is also preparing us. But what is he preparing us for? What is this perfecting all about? Why is he preparing us for what? He prepared a body for Christ to what? To come to earth because the blood of bulls and goats would not take away the sins of the world. So even more, he says in verse number 12 that he gave these gifts to the church for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. We are being prepared to work. Now, there's no way around it. That's just what ministry is. It's work. We're not being prepared for perfection. One day we'll be perfected. Matter of fact, when you read verse 13, till all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We understand what 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12 says that we don't fully understand, but we do understand this, that when we finally see him, when he finally breaks the eastern sky, all we know for sure is that we will be like him. So he says, there is a day coming in which we will achieve perfection in Christ. But yet even in this moment here, we are not yet perfect, yet we strive to become more like Christ. But it's not perfection yet. But yet we're being prepared to work for the Lord. Now, 
not to be silly, but it doesn't imply the, the foolish thought process here. Oftentimes when you meet people who are uh, saved and they haven't really committed themselves to a portion of ministry, they haven't committed themselves to uh, service for the Lord, oftentimes they say, well, you know, the reason that I haven't committed, the reason that I haven't uh, done something for the Lord is because, you know, I, uh, I struggle uh, with things in my own per personal life. I, I have issues of my own, and I really need to deal with issues of my own before I go tell anybody else about their issues. How is it that we apply such a foolish concept to our spiritual walk that we do not imply to our physical walk. I mean, I was talking to a friend the other day who recently had resigned from a position and took on a new position at a tirely, an entirely different company dealing with an entirely different product. I asked him how he was doing. He said, hey, you know what? The pay is great. The benefits are great. The hours are great. I really like the job, but I, I just have so much I have to learn about this job because I've never done it before. You know, the reality is, is that he's not going to learn about what he needs to know about the job until he starts doing the job. And then the reality is, in our own spiritual walk with the Lord, you're not going to recognize and fully realize how much you need the Lord every step of the way until you start walking. We can't say, well, Lord, I'm waiting for you to get all of these problems out of my life. I'm waiting for you to perfect me so that I can be used by you. This is the opposite meaning of this text. It is the perfecting. It does not say perfected. It is a continual path of sanctification that we are in. That It is the implied the thought process that God is still uh, supplying preachers and teachers and evangelists because there is a continual work that is happening within the house of God. There is a continual growth process that is happening within us. And the reason that we move in faith is because we understand, and just like that man I spoke to you of, we understand that moving in faith, we understand the benefits are great, the hours are great, because it doesn't matter where you are, what time of the day, the opportunity is always there to work for the Lord. The benefits are great because it has the greatest retirement plan of all time. We get to spend the rest of our life with him. So he says it's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And it's for the edifying of the body of Christ. We should all be thankful that we have the opportunity to work for the Lord. Matter of fact, you probably don't even need me to tell you this. You probably already know it. When I first became pastor, I was so excited. But you know what I learned at the end of the first year? There's a lot I didn't know about pastor. You know what I learned at the end of the second year? There's a lot I didn't know about pastoring. And it's about to be three years. And you know what I learned? There's a lot I don't know about pastoring. 
but I'm learning. I'm continuing to realize where my own failures are, my own mistakes are. But this is a continual path of sanctification that I'm trying to serve the Lord and, and lean on him and follow after him. Nevertheless, I'm still thankful. But it's, 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 it's work. Work, there's no substitute for this word. If you look it up, it means to labor. It means to toil. It means deeds in which we do. It's just hard work. You have been gifted these people to help you work hard for the Lord. That's what this gift is. It's not just physically, it's, it's spiritually. And we understand that you know, people's souls are on the line. But notice the third part of this verse. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This word in the Greek, gives us the thought process of building up a structure. It gives us the idea that um, through these men or through these teachers, through these preachers, that the church is being built up, the, the, church, the church is being structured, that people are being strengthened, that after people are after we preach the word, that we have a greater understanding of the word, therefore the structure is being built up. It's after we preach the word and dive into scriptures, we have a deeper understanding of the word. Therefore the, the structure is being built up, the, that we are being strengthened spiritually. It's after the teachers teach the word that we are being uh, strengthened spiritually and the Lord is building his church. He is building this up through uh, all of these different gifts that gifted to the church now the idea is this that verse number 12 explains to us why verse number 11 happened and verse number 11 happens so that we can continue to be built up we are the structure these gifts exist so that we are built up. I find it very interesting, you know, if we today had a child who uh, could not talk, if we had a child that could not walk, and they were in infancy, and as we watched them, they began to grow and grow, but they never learned to talk. And as they grew and grew, they never learned to walk. Now, it's not that this was not natural once upon a time. When they were in infancy, this was okay that they didn't talk and they didn't walk. This is what we expected out of them. But here what he's saying is that, that this is for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is for the building up the church. So what it is to say that is why it may be natural in the beginning of our faith that we, not, we may not be able to teach the word or herald the word or fully give the word to people. The thought process is that it is not natural for someone to not be able to do it, but it is unnatural for eventually for someone to not be able to do it. 
It's unnatural for someone who uh, says they're saved and been saved all these years and yet can't make known the beliefs in which they have. It is unnatural for someone to say that they're saved and not be able to utter the truths of God's word. The idea is that these gifts were given to the church so we would all just grow up. So that we should no longer be this child. Now, he says here for the edifying of the body of Christ. And if we think that we are taking a wrong road about this lifting up of the body of Christ, it is to say that Paul almost doubles down on this thought in verses 13 and 14. Because he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So he gave us the gifts in the church to build us up, to strengthen us in the church. Why? Well, the reason he gave us to us because there's going to be problems that we face in the church. And this is what he's saying, that we won't be tossed to and fro no more, that we won't be carried about with every wind of doctrine. But notice what he says at the onset of verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children. This is not to say like a, a young child like my son Levi. This is to say from the word nepio. This also produces the imagery of an infant. It is to say that, that we should no longer be infants, unable to speak, unable to walk, unable to hold ourselves up. Why does that matter? Because if we remain in the nepio stage, if we remain in the children stage, what happens when someone puts a little kid on the ground and there's a bunch of adults around? Before the end of the day's up, every adult in the room has probably picked that kid up, hugged that kid, and set the kid back down on the ground, or tried to convince the kid to walk while they held their fingers. So what Paul is saying that that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What he's saying is this. Listen, as just as a child, an infant in the room, is unable to communicate his desires, all he can do is whine. Just as a child in the room is subject to every adult that's around him, being picked up and put down and picked up and put down and carried around by every adult that's in the room. In the same way, these men were gifted to the church so the church could be built up so that there were not a bunch of toddlers being carried around by some guy who shows up with a million-dollar smile, that were being carried about by some charismatic preacher who, when he preaches, he moves our emotions. 
so that we're not fooled by the world. The purpose of being built up is so that we can stand on our own two feet and reason in the word of God and that we will fully grasp a hold of when, when someone is speaking a false truth about the word of God. So he says we're built up so that we're no longer this way, that we're no longer infants, that we're no longer these uh, children. Matter of fact, Paul would even go further on to say in Timothy that the church is the pillar in the ground for the truth. Also, it is important to say that if a church, I believe, when you think about it in this aspect, now, I know that there's a lot of churches that actually kind of struggle with this. There's a lot of churches with young preachers who struggle with this same thought process. But think about it in this light. If God has gifted a church with preachers for the benefit of the church, for the structuring of the church, for the uplifting of the people in the church, when then those people should be preaching in the church. If God has gifted a church with people who have a heart to teach, the worst thing you could do to someone who God has gifted to the church. Remember, back to two weeks ago, who divvied up the gifts to the church? Christ did. So if Christ divvied up the gifts to the church so that we could be blessed by this gift, well, then the gift should be allowed to be used. And when you don't allow the gifts to be used, it is also to counter the scriptures and say that you have a better understanding about what the church needs than the Lord does. It's counter to the word of God. So he gifted the church. So Paul says the church has been established to prevent us from being picked up and carried off by any doctrine that comes along. I read an interesting article yesterday about the American Banking Association. When fraudulent money came up and it really started to be predominant, the American Banking Association reached out to uh, several different banks and brought in their highest executives and brought them to the bank to give them a school lesson about counterfeit money. Now, when the school lesson began, it was a two-week course. When the school lesson began on counterfeit money, there was no video screens Helping you to detect a counterfeit bill didn't happen. Matter of fact, there was not even one single display the entire two weeks about what counterfeit money even looked like. For the entire two weeks, the American Banking Association put and distributed thousands of true U.S. dollars to everyone who was in the building. And by the end of the two weeks, everyone who attended this American Banking Association had a full understanding about what a real dollar bill looked like. And when they went back to their own bank, they were so familiar with the real thing that they could easily spot a fake. So the perfecting, so this building up, so this education that God has 
gifted the church with is so that we will arrive in the house of God and become so familiar, so gain so much understanding about the truths of God's word that when we go out into the world and we hear someone say that it's salvation plus baptism, we automatically understand this is a false truth. When we hear someone promote that there's many ways to Christ, we automatically know this is a false truth. This isn't to condemn them, so to say, but this is because we've come to the house of God. Week after week, we've dove into the scriptures. We've studied the word of God. We were like the Bereans when we heard something. We studied the word of God to see whether or not it was true. And so he says all the more that we'll no more be this way. The importance of why we're here this morning is not whether I make you laugh, not whether you leave feeling entertained, not whether or not I gave enough examples uh, that you say, well, he really gave some examples to us that we spoke in a dynamic way. The most important thing that could happen today is that when you walk out of these doors, that you have a greater understanding of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, so that you can apply it to your life. That is the most important thing that happens at the house of God. That's how we're built up. A story is not going to save you. A story is not going to be recalled to your mind by the Holy Spirit, so to say. He will recall unto us the truths of his word. And the importance is whether we understood this, but understand that it's his word that protects us. And since it's his word that protects us, Paul really closes out this section on unity. Now, He's not going to ease up on us at all because I think it's in verse number 17. He's right back on us that we shouldn't walk as Gentiles walk. But in verse number 15 and 16, Paul says that you got to understand the truths of God's word and that we should be structured up and built up in the house of God. But Paul always reminds us If you find someone in the church house who's in error, you can correct them and be in error. If you find someone in the house of God who's being built up, you know, there are things, me and Brother Tim, I won't even get into it, but there's things that I argued with him about when I first got saved that I believed with all my heart to be true. And I look back now and say, why did I have to argue with him? You know, I was wrong. But it was, it took the word of God to show me. I, I, I grew from studying his word. We are not all arrived at the same place. We are not all in the same, maybe full grasp of beliefs and understanding. This is why this is so important with verses 15 and 16. Paul says, yeah, you know these things were built up because we come to the house of God. But when you wield truth, keep this in mind. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together 
and compacted by that, uh, that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. In what? In love. We are not, the edifying is there again, lifted up, structured up, building each other up in love, in love. This is twofold. This is not to say that we should build each other up in love towards one another. That's absolutely true. But every time I read Ephesians and I see the word love, my heart it begins to uh, palpitate, so to say. Because when you think about it in the context in which the people in Ephesus received this letter, I wonder if it really had fully settled into them that they were lacking love. That they were not only lacking love for one another, but they were lacking love for God. It really seems that by time Revelation chapter 2 and verses whatever, 2 through 14, right there in those verses, it really seems that Ichabod had been written over the door. The glory had left the church. They had left their first love. Matter of fact, the Lord lifted them up and exalted them. He said, you guys are doing wonderful when it comes to sticking up for truth. You guys got it. When it comes to understanding doctrine, you guys got it. But you have left your love for me. The purpose of us being unified and being built up and being loving to one another and kind one another, the ultimate end is to glorify God. Yet it is the ultimate reminder that we can find ourselves in a situation where we keep verses 1 through 14, that we're kind to one another, that we're gentle to one another, that we're meek to one another, that we understand doctrine, that we um, understand that we use gifts that we have that God has gifted us with, that we can use these gifts in the church house, that we can even say, you know what, praise the Lord that he has gifted the Witten Place Baptist Church with teachers and preachers, and God is still calling more people in the ministry, and we can be happy and be on point on all of those things and have been so far from where we are supposed to be that, listen how serious this is. In Revelations, when the Lord deals with them, even though they're doctrinally all point, what does he say to the end of them? Return unto me, or I will remove my candlestick. If we don't remind ourselves why we're here, I'm here because I love the Lord. I'm here because this is where the Lord has placed me. It is my love for him that causes me to be in service for him. It's my love for him that spills out amongst all of us. It is the same thing. But I pray that we never get so focused on all of these other things that we forget just what Christ has done for us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it's in verse 5, he says, 
that his, the commandment was that you should love the Lord thy God with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your spirit. And it should be in your heart. In verse 6 it says, like 6 and verse 6. And then he says in the end of that, and if you really love me like you should, you're going to teach your children about loving me. I don't want my kids to think that I get up here in the pulpit because this is my job. I get in this pulpit because I love my Jesus. I get in this pulpit because I love God. I get in this pulpit because God has put me into service. Now, you may argue whether it's gifted or not, but you already voted. So we've been given the opportunity to use the gift that God has given me preach. I'm thankful for that. That's why I'm here. And I hope that week after week, as we arrive here, that we don't arrive here just with the thought, what am I going to get from him? Yeah, I may be a gift to the church, but you're a gift to the church too. We've all been gifted with gifts to bring Glory to his name through the Witten Place Baptist Church. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the depths of your word, Lord. It is so much for us that at times it's hard to take it all in. But Lord, we see the thoughtfulness and the strategicness that you have with foresight looked into the future and said this is what the Wind Place Baptist Church needs in this hour. May we recognize Lord that there are things that we may desire to have here to experience here and may they be matters of prayers and burdens upon our heart to keep lifting up before you. But may we also recognize in this moment, in this hour, in this time, you have gifted our church far beyond our understanding. Lord, I pray that you'll let us challenge us to search our hearts and see what way we can be in service for you. Lord, may we not be discouraged by looking to the left or to the right. We are only accountable for the gift that we possess, not the gift of others. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.